Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and vote while we imagine weird and wonderful science happening in your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Damon Gamo talks about his new film about a hopeful future, Regenerating Australia. But first, how is the federal government treating the future in the lead-up to the 2022 election? The children! The full bench of the Federal Court of Australia has decided that the Environment Minister Susan Lay does not have a duty of care to not hurt children. This would appear to imply she's free to hurt as many children as often and in any way she likes, as are any other government ministers. In 2020, eight Australian children sought an injunction to stop Environment Minister Susan Lay from approving a coal mine extension that would cause 100 million extra tonnes of carbon emissions to make climate change worse. In 2021, Justice Mordecai Bromberg did not allow the children's injunction to stop the mine extension in Gunnedah, but he did make a landmark ruling that Minister Lay has a duty of reasonable care to not cause the children personal injury when exercising her legislative decision-making powers regarding mines. The government appealed the decision that they can't personally injure the children. Because they want to. The government's solicitor argued the Environmental Protection Act does not apply to environmental issues broadly, but only to really specific circumstances. This is the opposite of the intention of the legislation. The government threatened that if they lost their appeal, they would carefully change the legislation to get rid of any duty to not cause personal injury to the children. While waiting on the outcome of the appeal, Minister Lay approved the Gunnedah mine extension and another two coal mines. Now in 2022, a full bench of three federal court judges has granted the government's appeal against a duty to not cause personal injury to the children and found that the minister can hurt the children to her heart's desire. Chief Justice Alsop concluded that decisions about mining approvals belong to the executive arm of government, ministers of the day, not the judiciary. Ms Lay also had control only over a tiny contribution to global carbon emissions, he said. I would have thought that the many Australian coal mines approved and the many millions of tonnes of carbon dioxide that they emit everywhere in the world we export them, are in fact a huge contribution by any calculation. Australia supplies a large amount of the world's coal. The lack of proportionality between the tiny increase in risk and the lack of control and the liability for all damage by heat waves, bushfires and rising sea levels into the future mean that the duty should not be imposed. Chief Justice Alsop was quick to make sure we all knew that despite denying any harm to the children, that he isn't a climate change denier. Honest. 
and that the government hadn't tried to cross-examine any of the children's witnesses on the damage caused by the coal mine extension, so they aren't denying climate change like usual either. I guess the Chief Justice doesn't live in one of the towns that flooded in the national emergency that Prime Minister Morrison said was caused by climate change. Justices Beach and Wheelahan were also not persuaded that the approval of the coal mine extension would cause personal injury to the students. This is surely irrelevant if the government doesn't have a duty to avoid harming them. If, as a judge, you think the government does have a duty of care, but it isn't invoked in this particular case, then why not make that ruling? Yet, in the legislation, the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act 1999, in 3A Principles of Ecologically Sustainable Development, the law says... If there are threats of serious or irreversible environmental damage, lack of full scientific certainty should not be used as a reason for postponing measures to prevent environmental degradation. The principle of intergenerational equity that the present generation should ensure that the health, diversity and productivity of the environment is maintained and enhanced for the benefit of future generations. These two points in the legislation clearly say that the Environment Minister has a duty to children and future generations to avoid harming the environment, and that the children do not have to exhaustively prove scientifically that climate change is caused by coal mines, and that climate change will hurt them and their future families. So the full bench of the Federal Court is wrong in law, as well as in principle. What is the government for if not to protect the safety and prosperity of its citizens? What is the Environment Minister for if she believes the environment legislation doesn't apply to the environment except in very narrow cases that she likes? What kind of government goes to court to fight for the right to hurt children? The children are considering whether to appeal the decision to the High Court. If there's any justice in Australia they'll win, forcing the government to explicitly amend the legislation to let themselves hurt children. What are they going to do? Make coal mines exempt from environmental laws? Coal mines will be exempt from environmental laws. The federal government has announced that they've found a little-known loophole in the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act 1999, Section 37A that allows the Environment Minister or Resources Minister to declare any industrial project as under a regional plan. Which means it doesn't need approval from the federal government or state government making it exempt from any legislation protecting people or the environment at all. Making regional plans a wild west where anything goes. The ministers will have absolute power to approve environment and public harming projects without any regard to any legislation. It's another example of government ministers in Australia having too much power. The review of the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, led by the former competition watchdog head Graham Samuel, a year ago in 2021, found that the environment was suffering from two decades of failure by governments to improve protection and called for an overhaul of Australia's conservation laws to address a trajectory of environmental decline. The government has not enacted any of his 38 recommendations in the past 12 months. 
a key recommendation is for a set of new national environmental standards against which developments should be tested. The exact opposite of this new loophole policy of regional plans. Asteroid smash! Did you have a meteor attack on your 2022 bingo card? Last week, astronomers were waiting for two large asteroids to fly near the Earth. Asteroid 2015 DR215 flew past the Earth on the evening of Friday the 11th of March. The asteroid is around 200 to 400 metres wide, about the size of a football field, and passed the Earth over 6 million kilometres away. A few days later, asteroid 2022 ES3 passed between the Moon and the Earth on Sunday, March 3rd. It's 12 metres long, or the size of a bus, and it passed 330,000 kilometres away. However, what was only detected two hours before it hit was asteroid 2022 EB-5. Asteroid 2022 EB-5 exploded in the upper atmosphere north of Iceland on Friday, March 11th. Asteroid 2022 EB-5 was 2-4 to metres wide, and it exploded with a force of 2 to 3 kilotons of TNT. The asteroid was travelling at about 18.5 kilometres per second, and was only the fifth asteroid to ever be seen before striking the Earth. A Hungarian astronomer at Konkoli Observatory near Budapest first spotted the asteroid heading our way. It's believed that the asteroid completely burned up in the atmosphere, leaving only a glow and a loud noise as it went. The incident is reminiscent of the half-ton meteorite that exploded in the air over the city of Chelnyabinsk in the Russian Urals in 2013, which did rain fragments over the city and left a six-metre-wide hole in the ice over Lake Chabakul. The blast from the explosion broke windows all over town. The videos from the dash cams that recorded the explosion can be found on YouTube. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Damien Gamo is a filmmaker who's made That Sugar Film, 2040, and now a film called Regenerating Australia. I spoke to him by Zoom and began by asking... So this film, is it in the form of a documentary news report looking back from the future? Yeah, so it was based on a listening exercise for four months where we interviewed a really varied and diverse group of Australians from very different backgrounds. And it was just after the fires and and COVID was about six months in uh, of 2019, 2020, those fires. Mm -hmm. And then we just asked them what kind of country they'd like to see on the other side of this. So if we could change some things after COVID and use this opportunity to to rebuild and do things differently, what would the changes they'd like to see? And I then took all that feedback, all those interviews, and then sort of found the things that emerged that were consensus or that, that came up a lot. And a lot of it was around more empowered communities, different structures around politics, wanting more of a say about their regions, lots more renewables, uh, lots more revegetation, uh, greener hills and cleaner water. Uh, amplified Indigenous voices came up a lot, more action on climate change and more 
sort of energy and food sovereignty in their regions and more jobs in their regions so they don't have to leave and, and have their children leave. And so I just put that into a, I guess, a collective vision and then just tried to use a, a different approach in, in the hope that we could cut through, which is that retrospective news report that we often see, these, these reports that look back at the decade that was and use very familiar messengers like Kerry O'Brien and Sandra Sully, these kind of deliverers of our messages that we've had in our lounge rooms for a long time, but get them to read these stories that a lot of these Australians hope to see in, in, in the next eight years up to 2030. So, yeah, I suppose it is. And then we use stock footage, stock footage to recontextualise it and change things so that it felt like it could be in the future. And then did a lot of interviews and, and fake press conferences and just tried to make it feel very authentic and very real. I didn't use any actors, just tried to get people to organically feel what it would be like if these things came to life. And that was the whole intention, to, to give the audience an experience, a brief 20-minute feeling of what this better future would be like to inhabit. Well, that's it's so refreshing because too often you see warnings about the dangers of doing the wrong things and people are left without, well, not only without much hope, but also without a clear pathway to a better future. And I think there's a very clear pathway here. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and like with the, the other films, that we, we really wanted to make sure that we had a suite of tools for people to get engaged with after they'd seen the films. It wasn't enough just to go, all right, here's this lovely future. You think, well, so what? That's great. It felt really lovely, but gee, is it ever going to happen? It's like, okay, if you align with this particular topic or this thing really stirred you or you're passionate about this, here are some tangible pathways for you to get involved and help bring it to life and materialise it. And whether that's community groups or different individual actions you can take, or even there's a fund. So WWF put up a $2 million fund for anyone that has an idea that's grant money that they'll give you if you want to think about a battery in your community or you want to do an urban food project or you think a First Nations learning centre would be great in your region. They'll provide that seed funding for you to, you know, to do some research or get it to a stage where we can then take it to a, another group of, of investors that might be able to build it and make it happen. So just trying to empower people at a time where you know, so many people feel hopeless and not being served by proper leaders or, or really... Like, what the hell do we do? It's all too overwhelming. Sometimes it can just be a little simple on-ramp for people to help them move forward. And then, as you probably know, all sorts of things can unlock from that when you start uh, meeting up with other people, learning about these things in, in this space. Very quickly, your, your life can change quite dramatically. And I, and I think a lot of people are looking for that in this moment. And that insight of just listening to what people want for the future, you don't hear a lot of that at the moment <laughs> yeah it's common sense isn't it like i think if we lived in a sane reality that's kind of what we'd been doing and and if we had true functioning democracy without all the games and the industry that politics has become and the othering and the dehumanizing and the amount of money in there if we went back to just listening to people and having conversations then we'd have a very different world but as we know that's not the case and i think there's something very human about that and not everyone's going to agree with that that's that's the reality of who we are but if we can listen to each other and find points of consensus or things that we can negotiate to agree on, then I think we just have a, a very different world. But at the moment, as we know, we're all in our rightness and we think what we know is best and we're, we give very little capacity to, to listen or, or, or hear another viewpoint from someone else. And I, and I think that's come at great expense to our society. And I think that's only been accelerated by our platforms and our social media and the way that we have been engineered to communicate it's really not serving us or our democracy or, 
the big decisions that we have to face. That's not a functioning landscape to do that in at the moment. And you didn't just listen to people. You've actually done the research on how to make these things happen. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, there's, there's a lot of complexity around each topic. So, you, you know, you take something like energy, you know, it, these solutions are out there. These ideas are starting to be implemented, but there's still a lot of work to do around policy mechanisms and, and blocks. And, and, you know, we have a very um, powerful incumbent system, especially in the energy sector, that, you know, is not really going to give up what they've had very easily. So I'm not going to pretend to know all the direct pathways of how to get there, but certainly there are people out there that do. And the thing we have to start with is that vision of what it could look like, because that, you know, most people don't even know that these opportunities are out there or what this different world could look like. So the first step is to plant that seed of the vision. And then we start to have those more complex conversations of how we get there and what it would take to get there. But you don't even begin that journey if you don't have that vision first. Like one of the moments in the film was the closing of the last coal power plant. That was amazing. Yeah, I mean, again, you talk to any expert in the energy sector, all of that is happening much faster than anyone could have predicted. We're seeing coal power stations closing, in some cases, seven years quicker than, than what people thought. So it's a very real possibility that the majority of them will be gone by 2030, the way we're going right now. And I just thought, you know, again, there's a, there's a way to do it. Do, do we do it and just go, oh, well, too bad, on to the next industry? Or do we actually acknowledge all those workers that have done an incredible job in that industry to power and build our economy and give us all the things that we, we get to live our lives by now and the security of our homes. And that all came about because of these incredible power stations where, you know, before we understood about climate, they were, they were very noble jobs. They were terrific jobs. They were, they were doing a great service to society. And very, very quickly we flipped that. And those people can sometimes feel very ostracised. So the reason I put that gesture of, of naming, putting all the coal workers' names in there was to acknowledge that They've been a huge part of our, our country. And, and perhaps if we started acknowledging them and, and accepting and humanising them as workers that, that are obviously going to need new jobs, then we've got a much better chance of, 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 of bringing them on side and, and, and making them part of the transition. Just so many positive threads, as well as all the renewable energy, you had all these ways of restoring the environment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole concept of regeneration. I think people, a lot of people wouldn't understand what, why we need to regenerate I mean, some do. I don't, I don't mean to sort of uh, undervalue people, but I don't think people really know where we're at in this country and how dire it is. We hear often about climate change, but, you know, we're also a, a global leader in wildlife extinctions. We're a, a leader in deforestation. We, we clear a, a forest or a bit of bushland uh, the size of the MCG every, every 86 seconds in this country. And we're using huge amounts of chemicals that are washing into our waterways now, destroying the reef at the same time. You know, plastics, we only recycle less than 12% of the plastics we use. So... It's just not enough to live sustainably anymore. We've actually got to adopt regenerative processes to heal these ecosystems again and, and reforest and regenerate the landscapes, regenerate the soils that have been destroyed by the chemicals. That's what regeneration means. But it can also apply to our ecosystems, that you know, our mental and physical health, elements of our democracy, these also need regeneration. It's not enough just to keep them what they are. We've got to dramatically improve them if we want to see the changes that, uh, that so many of us want in this country in the decades ahead. And this isn't your first film looking back from the future? No, I mean, I guess the, the difference between 40 is it wasn't so much look back from the future. It was a, yeah, I suppose it was a glimpse into the future, <laughs> whereas this is a bit different. It's set in the future looking back. But, yeah, I mean, I obviously um, got so many learnings from 2040 in terms of the way that it did motivate people into action and gave them some hope when they really needed it and did turn into really um, meaningful projects being brought to life because of the film. So... 
you know, there's a, a lot of the doom and gloom out there, and that's fine, and we need to wake people up, and it, there's an urgency, that's, there's no doubt about that. But I think we can also prop up that solutions narrative a bit more than we have been, and that, that's where I've just found myself in the last six years. I think that mechanism you've built of looking back from the future in this film is really powerful because it's like it's already happened, so it's, it's more believable in a way. Yeah, that was the intention, and, and it took a lot of work because I have seen sometimes this can be done and it can really, really not work because you, if there's actors or if people get a whiff of how fake it is, it, it can just detract and actually take people out of the story. So we work really hard on getting the right performances and making them feel really organic. And so, in fact, one of the criticisms we had at an early rough cut screening, which was a great compliment, was that a couple of people thought it had actually already happened. And they said, well, I, I just got confused about what was real and what wasn't. And have, have we built that train line, that, that high-speed rail? <laughs> so I had to go back in and pl- put some placeholders in to say, you know, years 2025 to 2029, and just to be really clear to people that it hadn't happened yet. But, but that's exactly what I wanted people to experience, that it, it felt real, and, and, and to have them temporarily just suspend their disbelief and go, wow, I, I would feel so emotional if that did happen. I would feel so happy if that happened. And, and let them just feel and inhabit that space just for a short amount of time. And then it gives them a bit of a, it's like putting a pin down on a map. It's sort of like, okay, well, I've, I've had an emotional connection to that future. So maybe it just sits in the back of the mind or sits in the heart when they're doing other things. And like, that's what I'm striving for. That's what I want for my kids. Uh, I think that can be really potent if it's used properly. And where will people be able to see Regenerating Australia? So I'm about to do a tour of the country uh, starting pretty much tomorrow, right through regional Victoria, then regional New South Wales and Queensland, uh, Tassie, WA, Darwin, Alice Springs. So it'll be for everyone to come along and it's obviously a night of celebration. We have First Nations speakers, we have local artists, musicians that might not have played in, in, in public for a couple of years, really great panels of experts to discuss the film and then really tangible pathways that people can get involved with at the end. And then the film will be available for free. We're not beholden to any distributor, so there's no commercial interest in this one. So as of, I think, about middle of May, uh, the film will go online uh, for free on YouTube and I think iTunes are going to make it free and a couple of other streaming platforms. And so, yeah, people will just be able to see it. And from April the 1st, anyone can host a, friend, a screening for free as well. So at your workplace, at your school, even at your, at your home for your friends, we'll help you curate a, a free screening and, and just talk you through a little process to help people dream and, and think about what solutions might be appropriate for their unique place in the country. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, just uh, appreciate the support and encourage everyone see the film and tell other people about the film and it's a collective vision of what so many Australians want it's not my vision and so it's a really opportunity for us to to come together on a shared vision of the country and 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 start materializing it well Damon thank you very much my pleasure all the best that was Damon Gamow talking about the film he made regenerating Australia which depicts a moving and believable picture of the future Australia that I want to live in With new, your product here. Available to all, man is working modern miracles. Breaking the boundaries of time. Nearing the conquest of space itself. In countless ways, directly and indirectly, your product here serves the nation and its citizens plays a vital role in helping every American to achieve a better way of life. 
enables or helps him to enjoy healthful recreation, have well-trained, obedient pets, make friends, have leisure time for travel, grow bigger crops, get real smoking satisfaction, strengthen our national defense, keep romance from fading away, enjoy smoother shades, live in a more comfortable home, take off ugly fat, achieve success. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show if you enjoyed the show you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography, collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.